to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I'm going to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour. The Sharon Kleina Hour is about the power of water. I'm Sharon Kleina. Over five years ago this month, I was asked if I'd like to have my own radio talk show. And I thought it over, and here I am five years later, because I wanted to call my show Power of Water. And well, how exciting the special guests have been, every single guest from all over the world. We have been in Holland. We've been in Sweden. We've been in Kenya. We've been all over the world. And I want to thank World Talk Radio, Voice America, for making it possible. Apple iTunes we're syndicated with and all that has been made possible to get the message out. And I call it like the laboratory. This show is dedicated with a mission to be able to educate the knowledge, provide you knowledge, and able to make a decision to, to learn how important water is. Anyway, the show is about the water all over the world and what, how important water is to your life and to the life of all the planet Earth. And the way it affects the solar system, we have the water. But there is evidence with the population growing, Earth changing, the climate change, and every day for millions and millions of years it's changing, that without water there would be no plant life. And then I started studying with my background, and I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center. I started studying the humidity, the water in the air we're breathing to also keep us alive. So Earth is keeping alive with the water. We're keeping life with water. But there's the humidity that must be clean. It must be consistent. The water in the air that's keeping us alive from the moment we were born. So the issue of water, the subject of water, is vital, and this is what this show is all about. We are the only radio talk show talking about water. Now, the population is part of our planet Earth. The population last year in the United States of America grew by 39,817 people. We now have living in America 313,210,093 people. Now, stop and think about the population of America. We don't have the same population as Greece has and other countries have. We don't have an enormous population. In fact, somebody even mentioned with the deficit problems we're having, we can't even carry because we have very little. We do not have the population to even pay off the deficit because we're so underpopulated. So it'll take many, many, many years longer just to pay off a deficit. That's where our population is. We do not have an enormous population, but the planet Earth just reached 7,001,502,428 people. Now, the reason I'm discussing this today is World Water Day is coming this week on the 21st of March. Water, it takes 35 gallons of water to make one cup of coffee. Why? Because all the water that is used to cultivate coffee beans. It takes 635 gallons to make a hamburger because of the water required to grow and feed the cows. 
we need fresh, clean water. Seriously need. The world, or the earth, is mostly water. But only 3% is fresh water, and only 1% we can use. And that's becoming scarce every day because we didn't make water a priority. We made other things more important than water. What about our families? How are they going to live for generations and the many years to come? We need water. And we need to make sure that it's affordable. Now, I will tell you, I was reading an article that my daughter Katie sent me about uh, from Anna Davy Dova, who is, uh, her background is in equity research, is with the equity research division with an equity, an analyst company. And she was saying that in her writing, that what is happening is the global water consumption is expected to increase by the consumption because of the population by 40% within the next 20 years. Water shortages may get more acute and widespread, and you know what water wars have been doing. And what she was saying, Anna, and that's why I brought up the deficit today and our population in America, our population is not growing that fast, but the world is growing fast. We have a world that we're not considering water before oil and water before gold, water before the politics, Water is vital, and this week is World Water Week. Think about it. I wanted to tell you today, too, that about George Cloney. I want to praise him and his father for what they did in Washington, D.C., to bring attention to what's happening in the Sudan, in, in, outside of the Sudanese embassy in Washington, D.C., this last week on Friday the 16th, he and his father demonstrated, along with some other individuals, about what is happening in the Sudan with the innocent women, children, and the men. They have isolated over 100,000 people in an area that probably will have the worst catastrophe in humanitarian disaster in the world without water, food, and able to live. And now, can you imagine... Saddam Hussein did this in the tribes when they got upset with the tribes. They took away the water and they died slowly as a disaster of worse than ma- weapons of mass destruction. Well, what is weapons mass destruction? Take away water and food and families will die. Their pets will die. Everything will diminish as if it just wasn't there. It's almost like a disease came in and took him away. Well, you know now, thanks to what George and his father are doing, is bringing attention to what they're doing there in Sudan. So get behind that and look that up. We have so much to be thankful for. This week is also Earth Day. And on, on the first day of spring, which is March 20th, we are having Earth Day. And Earth Day is a time when I had, years ago, on December 14th in 2009, Robert Rear was my guest on the show. He is the author and editor of many books, but he is also the, also the author of Earth Day. And I found, author to be, I found this author to be one of the most exciting guests I could ever have on, Robert Weir, and today we have him on. He's been traveling the world for years, 
but this last year he's been traveling all over the world. Robert is known to take an interest in people. He likes to learn more about individuals, and he writes about people. He believes everyone brings something of value to life's party. He believes we are all equitable contributors, and we are all green and or wet behind the ears in some capacity or some degree, he affirms. And I look at it this way. Do you think you know it all? You're in trouble that second. Please have an attitude of thinking there's so much to learn because every single person on earth has something to offer. He believes we can get into trouble when we fall to recognize the beauty of human diversity and claim our ideas or methods are infallible. And I think that it's time we take a look at listening to Robert Ware today, and I'm going to almost like let him carry the show. I'm excited he's with us. He's back from his travels just a few weeks ago. We're going to listen to our sponsor, though. Biologic Alco Research is the sponsor of the Sharon Klein Hour, Power Water. And we're going to listen to our About Eye Eyes, the education and knowledge about how important your eyes are to your health. Do you know that the surface of your eyes has a tear film? It's three layers. Nature gave you that film to protect you when the eyelid is open. That film is there to protect you from the problems of the air and give you an immunity protection to back up water. Did you know that that surface is 99% water? What do you think dry eye or vision impairment is? Dehydration, lack of water, individual. There are no two eyes alike, no two fingerprints alike. We're all so different. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the only supplement worldwide to be able to supplement the eyes to maintain that tear film water. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Robert Weir. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Robert, are you with us? Hello, Sharon. Good morning to you. Well, good morning to you, and I want to thank you for coming on today, and I was excited 
I, you were on uh, the show um, December 14, 2009, for the first time, and here we are on, in March 19, 2012. We've come a long way together, Sharon. Yes, we have. But you took off a few times in between and traveled the world, and you just got back, what, about three, three weeks ago after being gone, being gone almost a year? I arrived uh, in February back from India. I was uh, gone for about seven and a half months at that time with a couple of stops also in uh, the Philippines and Hawaii. Uh-huh. Now, when, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. I can hardly wait, and we're going to talk about Earth Day and World Water Day. But I want to bring up something to you before we get into your travels about this thing with George Clooney and uh, what he did last Friday to bring attention to the world about what's going on in Sudan. Have you ever been in that part of the world? I have not yet been to the Middle East, no. What do you know about that with your studies? Have you fill our audience in? I guess there is a, they have about 100,000 people isolated without enough water and food, and there's going to be a horrible humanitarian crisis happening here in the very near future. Have you read about it? Well, we've talk, you're talking about taking away some of the basics of what we need. Of course, we need water. Of course, we need food. And um, you know, people are not going to be able to live in that without those items. Yeah, right. I guess uh, uh, we need to learn more about what is happening out there. You know, I have said, Robert, and we'll get into uh, your subject of what you did to learn more about people around the world, and that's your focus is people, and you write about people. But I have said on my last show, and I'm going to bring it up in every show, it's time that we on this planet Earth decided to humiliate the leaders of the world that are starving their, the families, the mothers and their babies to death with lack of water and no food. And it's time they were embarrassed. We don't have to talk about the oil. We don't have to talk politics. We don't have to talk about gold bars. We need to mention the fact that all they need is to supply water and food for the mothers and their babies to live. And we're having 5,000 children dying a day because they don't have water. And can you imagine a mother watching her babies die? So Uh, it's it's time that we did something. We don't have to do anything with any other weapon but prayer and humiliation that people are causing this, what George Clooney has said, and much more, a humanitarian crisis when the rest of us are having to watch something that is so vital to the whole planet and the effects of our, our ecosystem on the planet is the devastation of people dying by a, a mass humanitarian problem, uh, factor, uh, reasons like this. I wanted to talk to you today. Let's start out. When you started out, what day did you start on your travels this last time? Well, I arrived in India on August the 2nd, 2007, and uh, traveled in the Himalayas and also Delhi a little bit, which is sort of like a a landing point. And primarily I was in the city of uh, Calcutta, or what the people in India now call Kolkata, and I was there on a writing assignment and uh, working with uh, some people, a woman in particular, who uh, teaches... uh, who's involved with education of slum-dwelling children in Kolkata. Now, the first thing I went to my mind when you said that word, slum locations, is my granddaughter went to India, and I think I told you uh, she was a 
hostess of her graduation ceremonies. Three weeks later, she came from this tiny town of Grants Pass, Oregon, and went to India to volunteer time in orphanage to help others with ch- children who were orphans in India. And in she what city did she, in what city did she go? Uh, Calcutta. In Calcutta, okay. Yeah, she, so she went from a tiny town in Washington to in uh, Oregon. Uh, a, a, tiny little town Oregon, Oregon to a megapolis of uh, sixteen million people. And went over on her own with her own money that she had saved up to go do this. Now, uh, you can imagine what Grandma was thinking. I thought, oh, my gosh, (laughs) what if she gets sick? And I called her once a day for two minutes. (laughs) Okay. Robert, I did. And and one time, one of the nuns answered the phone, and she says, McKenna, your mother, your grandma's on the phone again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But anyway, now we're thinking slum, and she was telling me how beautiful the children is. And, Robert, she took over the Disney DVDs, the musical Disney shows, and she taught them Disney songs and dancing, and even the nuns learned how to do it. And then we had this movie come out, Slumdog Millionaire. And then all of a sudden, as the world, we're looking at what is happening in India in the slums. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And you're thinking about India is so prosperous, but yet it has so much to learn and much and much to do. So what did you do then? Um, you were in the slum area and you were working. What did you learn? What, what are they doing to deal with the, uh, the population? Well, to deal with the education of that population in the Kolkata slums, uh, first of all, I agree with you that uh, overall India is a economically prosperous country. The economy is is growing quite well. There's also, as I understand, a great deal of um, uh, bribery and government um, improprieties going on, and there are people in India who are protesting and even doing hunger hunger strikes over the uh, the graft and the greed that is part of the, uh, at least some of the Indian government. I don't know too much about that, but it certainly was in the news. But what I did know and, and experienced over there was that well, the Indian government also says that every child is entitled to an education, and there are government schools. However, those government schools also require that every student have a uniform, including shoes, not just flip-flops, which is the more common footwear. And, of course, students have to carry their own bags, or excuse me, their own books, and most of them have a, a book bag or a backpack of some kind. In reality, the children of many families cannot afford the uniforms, and it takes more than one uniform. It takes at least two because you have to have one for laundry purposes. And so, as a result of that, many of the slum-dwelling children just do not go to school because they can't afford the extra items to go to a formal school. Therefore, people like Rosalie Giffaniello, my client and friend who I went to work with on a book about her work, and many, many other people have uh, found what they call non-formal schools. And Rosalie, through her organization Empower the Children, is a funder of some of these non-formal schools. That means that the formalities of uniforms and, and even books are not required. 
Yet the students are hungry for education. Their parents want them to have an education. And so these schools are populated with dozens of children in very small one-room facilities. For example, one of the schools that Rosalie's organization funds is a single room. It's approximately 24 feet by 24 feet on the inside. That's the size of a two-car garage. And the number of children there numbers 70 to 90 children every day. I was there one day in particular where there were two different teachers teaching at the same time. There was a small row between the students, and these young people are not in desks. They're sitting on the floor. They ranged in age from 5 to 19. The younger ones were learning from a teacher who was speaking Bengali, and the other um, students, the older students, were learning from a teacher who was speaking a combination of English and Hindi, all in the same room. There was this, but the students were calm. I can imagine. It's probably no acoustics had to be horrible. As you mentioned, they are beautiful, beautiful children, very oh, well behaved, and yet it, to an American child or to our American way of living, what we would consider that to be um, an awful situation, and yet the students are there to learn, and they're making the most of it in these schools that are really... Well, now, um, as first, the first thing I want to think, you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a square footage, like a double-car garage, You've got about between 50 and 70 children in there between 5 and 19. They're maybe all in one room. And maybe two teachers. What did they do for water and sanitation? Well, there is no toiletry uh, or running water in the schools that I'm aware of, at least the schools that I was in. And some of these schools are Rosalie schools, and some of them are uh, run by other organizations other than Empower the Children. Uh, the Like in general in the slum areas, there are community toilets here and there. And people do not have a toilet within their individual homes. I mean, the, the individual homes are about maybe 12 feet by 12 feet or 15 by 15 feet in one room again for a family of eight to 10 people, mother, father, and children. And so they don't have room for toilets or running water in many of those slum homes, but there are community pumps and there are community toilets here and there. And if the children need to go to the bathroom, they leave the building and go out and find one of these community toilets and use it. There's no kitchen facility. Now, I'm going to back so you up the, about the community sanitation. Is, it, is that a, an outdoor toilet or are they just going on the street? Uh, it's an outdoor toilet. Toilet. It does. Most of them, in the way that I saw, do feed into some kind of a sewer system. I, okay. I don't know the infrastructure of that sewer system, but no, I, no. I saw very. You know, I really did not see anyone in a city uh, defecating or urinating uh, on a roadway. And some urination by men, but definitely mm-hmm. not by women. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so there's no kitchen. For so they came time for their food during the day and nutrition. Um, the, ch- the children, uh, did they have a break to go have something to eat, or how did they do what for they? So they had a break okay. to go have lunch. <laughs> sure, it's interesting that the reason I'm asking that because I haven't. In our Western way, we would say go have something to eat, like you go home or go to a, in a restaurant. But no, in actuality, right. the children may not have any uh, significant food at home, 
So it is part of their educational environment that the Empower the Children uh, organization and other organizations bring food into the schools. Okay. Uh, okay. It's not heated there. It's heated on the outside and brought in in large kettles. The children receive uh, an allotment of food that way, and they sit on the floor and eat it. And it is good, nutritious food. It is uh-huh. rice, dal, bananas, and other fruits that are available. It's definitely not junk food, and, okay. but that is the, and for some children, that's the only good meal that they get each day, and it's part of their educational experience. Okay. Okay. So how long were you in India? I was in India a total of six months, which is the maximum allowed for a tourist in the Indian, uh, by the Indian government, mm-hmm. and uh, four months of that I was working in Kolkata on the book that Rosalie and I are crafting. Uh-huh. And what do you think that, because you're a study of people, what did you think was the most important relationship that you would find there that you could, that you found was providing a, a source of you getting knowledge and you to write about what this, what you were hired to do to come in there and learn more to help a person write a book? What did you think the directions you would be, you're going to be going? Well, let me give a little more background to answer that question first, uh, Sharon. And that is that Rosalie and I, and Rosalie has maintained a flat in a slum area, a basti, they call it. And the area where she lives is a... um, it is a slum because of the, uh, let's say, the unplanned architecture and because many uh, people in the neighborhood do not own or uh, they, they do not, cannot prove that they own the property in which they live. I mean, there's a great deal of lack of paperwork when it comes to land ownership, deeds and titles and such as that. Where she lives and where I stayed with her was not a slum of uh, cardboard shacks or wood scraps or coordinated steel. And we saw those. In fact, uh, many of the schools that we went into are in that kind of a truly decrepit slum where a fire would tear through it in a matter of minutes. But yet, Rosalie, uh, it's a flat, and where I stayed with her was considered in a poor area. Um, and it was primarily in um, most of the neighbors were uh, Muslim. However, there were also Hindus, Sikhs, uh, Christians. So the religious diversity there was absolutely phenomenal, far beyond what we experienced here in the Western states, where we we refer to religious diversity within the Christian sect or the the Christian religion, where we have the sects for like uh, Catholicism, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, and so on, all believing in Jesus Christ. But there you've got a religious diversity that goes among all of the world's faith groups. And what I experienced, and also I have to mention that the population density in Kolkata is 40,000 people per square mile. Yeah, 40,000 right. per square mile. That's uh-huh. a lot of people living close together. So now I'm coming to the point of answering your question, Sharon. What I experienced there was a great and wonderful and beautiful sense of community that I think we in the Western world have gotten away from. Those people, because they live so close together, rely on each other, know each other, are friendly with each other, and not in a superficial way, but in a true neighbor-to-neighbor, cousin-to-cousin kind of relationship. 
We've talked, uh, we, you know, there's the maxim, it takes a village to raise a child. I saw those urban villages collectively raising their children. The parents all are looking out for everybody's children. The older children are all looking out for the younger children. It's not a situation like we have in so much of the U.S. where we drive up to our own garage, press a button, the garage door opens, and we have created our own little individual gated communities, home by home by home. No, the, the doors are basically curtains not of a wooden door, but they're curtains. Many of them are unlocked. People can come and go. You're invited in. It's friendship. It's openness. Um, the men sit and talk in the village, this urban village, every night. They talk about religion and politics and community affairs and family situations. And it's not like, oh, let's get together once a month and have a community town hall meeting. No, this is every night discussion. Mm-hmm. And it is beautiful. It is community in action. And I loved it. Now, um, we're going to be taking a break here in about one minute. But we'll come back and discuss um, that, uh, what uh, India, uh, what is happening in India to show the rest of the world that their relationships with each other are, well, obviously, that re- India has done some magic with the population that is growing. In fact, there isn't their population at 1.2 billion people. The population of India is currently 1.2 billion people, yeah, or so approximately 1.3 of the world's population. Yeah, and I think India is still growing. Yes. Well, for example, uh, New York City is the United States' largest uh, city with around 8 million people. Kolkata is the second largest in uh, India with uh, 16 million people. Mumbai, or what we used to know as Bombay, has got 20 million. Delhi's got about 14 million. So there's three cities right there in India that are at least or approximately twice the size of New York City, the U.S.'s largest Well, and I was just uh, mentioning the population here. I don't know if you were able to hear it, but... In the United States, we have 313,210,093 people living here as of last week. And the U.S. Oh. in India's population there would be about uh, three to four times that number. Oh, my. Yes, and growing. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break, uh, Robert, and um, we're going to come back and we're going to discuss what else you've learned learning for, for us to learn on your travel. And then I'd like to bring up before the show is over today, because I want to have you on again, because uh, we can't possibly talk about it all, but about what you, where you else you've traveled also for you to be able to have this ability to, when you're looking at people of the world and your evaluation so open-mindedly, such an ecosystem you have there with yourself. Of this well, you, view that you're getting of the vision of the talk, world. Let's talk, also talk We're, about the original. Okay, okay we'll, we'll take a moment with our sponsor, and Robert will be right back with you. I want to thank you today. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with Just a Mist, and we'll be right back with Robert Weir. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. And also, I want to tell my audience, uh, Robert, uh, listen to me on Apple iTunes. We have a huge audience on Apple iTunes and follow me on Facebook at Sharon Kleina. Robert, when we took our moment there, uh, we were talking about your travels, and I've always, ever since I met you, we, we, we talked about World Earth Day. Tell our audience about Earth Day and why you got interested in writing a book and who was the founder of World, uh, the World Earth Day. Well, thank you, Sharon. I'm glad to expound on that for a moment. Most people think that Earth Day is April the 22nd, and that is, the, let's say, the popular Earth Day. But it is not the original Earth Day, and April 22 is not was not originally called Earth Day. It was originally called an environmental teaching. And then the people um, who were responsible for the April 22 Earth Day heard the man I wrote about, John McConnell, speak about the concept of Earth Day on the spring equinox, which is nature's global holiday. It's the time when when the Earth shears sunlight equally between the North Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere, and it's also this time of spring, this rejuvenation, at least for us here in the Northern Hemisphere, where most people live. So John McConnell created the original Earth Day on March 20th. There was and that was with equinox. the blessing of the United Nations? Yes, he uh, he announced this. So the world at, joined at the him United with that. Uh, he announced that event at the United Nations in uh, 1969, and the first original Earth Day was on March 20th in 1970. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes. you wrote a book years later um, uh, about it. The book that I wrote about uh, five years ago now is called Peace, Justice, Cure of Earth. I remember in your introduction you mentioned the title of the book was Earth Day. I actually, I'm sorry. The, the title, that's okay. <laughs> and for your audience, I just want to you know, gently put this out there. Right. That the title of the book is Peace, Justice, Cure of Earth, and it is about Earth Day, the original Earth Day, and it's about John McConnell, who gave us this vision, and John's vision. And he is an extreme visionary. His vision is that peace is not the absence of war, but peace comes from an honest understanding of another person's point of view. Justice is is not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. John refers to that as legalized revenge. But justice, true justice, comes from an equal sharing of all of the world's resources, which relates, of course, to water, which relates to what's happening in the Sudan, which relates to what's happening. So much, in so much of the world. 
And John proclaimed and stated in his vision that peace and justice are both necessary before we will really begin to of the earth, that things like the recycling are just band-aids, because this pollution it comes from war. I mean, war is intended to wipe out human resources, infrastructure resources, natural resources, including the decimation of water, and until we come to peace with each other and with each other, then we really are not yet taking care of the planet. And so that's John's vision of peace justice, care of earth, which is why I titled the book that way, about John and about the earth day that he created. John also created the earth flag, which is the globe on a blue background, and I'm sure that people in the audience have seen it, it's out and around, but he's like this unsung hero, so he's the kind of person I like to write about, those who are not well enough known. That's why I wrote his book. It was published in 2006, Peace, Justice, Care of Earth. It's available through Amazon.com. It's available through my website, which is RobertMWeir.com, W-E-I-R. And then we're having World Water Day this week. Yes. And, and, we're having... uh, I, and I think and look at my show uh, last year at this time. We were in Sweden with World Water Day, with the Royal Family of Sweden. It honors World Water Day all over the world, and we honor it here in the United States. You know, Robert, you have such a vision, and I'm going to sound, you know, I told you at one point I had tears in my eyes when you told me about McConnell. What was his first name? His first name was John McConnell. John McConnell, audience. John John McConnell, yes. And he wasn't he a senator or a congressman? Uh, he was neither. He was an average person with the. Okay, he wasn't either one. I thought that's why the politicians decided to change it. <laughs> oh, okay. They're right. Okay, he was not a politician. John John is one of these common people who unfortunately did not have the the infrastructure organization behind him in order to really put forth his effort. He did create a non-governmental organization called the Earth Society Foundation, which uh-huh. is still in existence, and, and also the Earth Society Foundation is once again, as of tomorrow, uh, hosting the original Earth Day celebration at the United Nations and this is important, mm-hmm. this is timely, um, that t- tomorrow morning at 1.14 in the a.m., you know, we're just a little bit past midnight, uh-huh. uh, after midnight tonight, people will gather at the United Nations in the Rose Garden around the peace bell that is there, and someone, in fact, it will be Ambassador Anwar Shoudhury from the United Nations, is going to ring that peace bell. This tradition uh-huh. at, the, at to ring the peace bill at the moment of equipoise began in 1971 when Secretary General Uthant was there along with John McConnell and many, many other people. And, um, and, of course, the first Earth Day, as I mentioned, was in 1970, but this tradition at the United Nations began in 1971, oh, wow. and it's been going on yeah. every year since then, including shortly after midnight tonight, when Ambassador Shuttery is going to be bringing the peace Isn't bell. that exciting? 
Right, and, and the reason that people know of Earth Day on April 22, or the second Earth Day, the quasi-Earth Day on April 22, is because Senator Gaylord Nelson, who was a U.S. political senator, and a person who was very much involved in the environmental movement and was a good man in that regard, he created the... He created the um, the uh, environmental teach-in for April 22, but then he or his people renamed it to Earth Day after John McConnell had announced the idea, and John's organization just wasn't large enough to overcome that on the public relations scale, and so Senator Nelson's people and organization took over, and that's why most people today think that April 22 was Earth Day. Well, and I'm going to be, it's it's where I come from. This other individual made it a more political situation, whereas John McConnell and the United Nations wanted it to be a a worldwide relationship. Celebration. They wanted it to be a celebration, Sharon. Celebration. It's a global holiday to celebrate our human oneness, which is what, you know, I believe in, our human collectivity, our connectivity. Mm-hmm. And John, that's why I wrote John's book, is because he believes in the same things that I believe in. And it's not a political position. Nothing political. It's a human position. Human. Well, that's why I told you when you told me the story the first time, I had tears in my eyes. I get them in my eyes again <laughs> about <laughs> what is happening out there. You know, uh, in fact, uh, yesterday, uh, I wa- built, my husband and I, Bill, like to watch 60 seconds and 60 minutes when we can. And yesterday, they were interviewing this young man who's one of the founders of PayPal, and he had enough money to start a, a vision all his life, he believed in, in, in exploration of space. And he started a private company where they're trying to really encourage people to do private companies to explore space that might save money uh, and, and put the money wisely toward a business venture to go into space and not waste so much money, which our government does have a tendency to waste a lot of money. Well, he was being interviewed about, his, about what, did, what did he think when he had some people in the political side of it get upset that he was doing this. And he had, this is the truth, Robert. He had tears come down. And you could see the tears in his eyes, and he could almost started crying, this very successful young entrepreneur businessman that's put in over $100 million into this space exploration, wanting to be consciously with a mission to concern himself with life on Earth, to explore and study away from Earth what might be in the future. John McConnell, wanting to be a citizen of, a, of, of our country, our world, who believed that we ha- should have a celebration about our Earth on a particular day and call it Earth Day. I remember, John, when it, way back in time, I would make, I haven't had time to do it for a while, I would make individual planters, little planters, and give them to people on Earth Day and, and deliver them to their home and put them in their front door. And because I thought it was so exciting to have a day that I could make a little planter with little plants in it from the earth and then put little figures in there like people are living in this planter and little uh, animals in the planter and give it to somebody. And I remember one time, John, uh, Robert, I gave it to a man who's founder of one of the biggest companies in our country. And I, I, get, well, I gave one over, I gave it to him in person and he had tears come down. He said, Sharon, this is the best special gift I've ever been given. I made up a special planter for Earth Day for this man who had been enormously successful 
but nobody ever thought of him on Earth Day. Hmm, so it, it's really exciting what you did there with the book, and I tell people to go get the book. I have the book. And uh, it is exciting to hear the story about what is happening with our Earth together here. Now, you and the celebrations that are coming, and we hope that everybody celebrates it every day, knowing that Earth is that special all over the world. Now, tell us about, you went to India this last time. Before we go on, and I want to have you on again about some of your other travels, but you have traveled around the world. What, where, what countries have you traveled? Sharon, before I answer that, let me just interject that in regard to my book, Peace, Justice, Care of Earth, that that book is not just a story about John McConnell. I mean, certainly his story is in it. It's a, it's a part of the book. But that book is also valuable because John McConnell's vision is valuable. There's a primer for how we can get along with each other. Thanks to John McConnell. Thanks to the way I wrote about it. Thanks to the content of Peace, Justice, Care of Earth. So, again, I encourage, thank you for encouraging people to buy. It's on Amazon. It's on my website, robertmweir.com. In and Weir and Robert is, is uh, Weir is W E I R. Okay. Yes, Robert M as in Martin W E I R dot com. And I love that people visit my website. So you know, drop in, say hello, hit the contact button, and send me an email. I'd love to know that we've, we're connecting in that way because right. we're all one part of the one and only human race. Right. Right. Now, when, where, how many countries have you traveled to? I think I've been in, oh, more than a dozen now, which is, you know, not a great number compared to a lot of other people. But I, I think it's special, Sharon, in, in the way that I like to travel. I like to stay out of hotels. I mean, if I want to go to a hotel in India, I may as well go to a hotel in Chicago. And I mean, a nice hotel is a nice hotel. I like to live with the people as much as possible, interact with the people as much as possible. When I was in, um, uh, Dharamsala, Dalai Lama is, for example, I spent some nights in the, um, in a, in a monastery, in a monk's cell with the, among the monks, and I, and I, because I had a chance to teach uh, English to them for a couple of nights. Um, so I, I, I started last year, I went to Barbados to begin with, and I sailed across the Atlantic Ocean on a tall ship, the Royal Clipper, which is a beautiful, beautiful tall ship, five masts, and gorgeous. We've talked about that and about the water in the Atlantic Ocean. I also sailed then, um, went to into Barcelona, into Spain, and flew to Greece, uh, sailed on the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea, and another tall ship, a, a three-masted barkentine, and then spent some time in Bulgaria, Germany, Russia, where I participated again, left in stayed in people's homes, participated in the 300th anniversary of Pushkin, Russia. And then went on to India last year, where I had my first connection with uh, some of the same people in India who I, who I connected with again this time. And on this trip to India, <laughs> I didn't just fly from the U.S. I went by way of uh, Hawaii, which of course is in the U.S., but then also the Philippines and on to Delhi and came back the same way. Uh, I had some very interesting flight arrangements from from Washington, D.C. to Kauai to Manila to Delhi and then back to Manila, Kauai, and Detroit. I love to travel. I love to be with I'm going to put you on the stump for a second, uh, Robert. Uh, You're one of my favorite people to have on, and I want to tell you, um, ask you, and, and all the places you've been to this point, and I know you're going to go more places, I'm sure, 
What has been one of your most memorable visions to never forget you were there at that spot? Is, have you had that spot? I would think it would have to be something to what I referred to earlier in our conversation, and that is the uh, what I saw as beautiful religious diversity within Kolkata. Okay. Because because there are so many major faith groups there, they all have their celebrations. So the Hindus have Durga Puja. I was there for the Muslim or the Islam uh, Eid al Adha, and also for the uh, Sikh celebration of their uh, tenth uh, Guru uh, Gobind Singh, and that was all within the three or four or the four months that I was there in Kolkata. And what's amazing there is that when, oh, of course, I was there for Christmas, the Christian holiday for, for the birth of Christ. And everybody celebrates everybody's holidays. It so everybody's really, celebrating each other's outlook on yes, life. Exactly, exactly. Because, well, at each one of those major festivals that I participated in, I saw people of other faiths there. And I say I saw because some people are, well, they wear their faith, just like Christians often wear a crucifix on, on a necklace. Well, Hindus very often have a tilak, which is that red, or sometimes it's a black or orange spot on the middle of the forehead between the eyebrows that represents uh, spiritual protection. Of course, Sikhs never cut or trim their hair nor beards among the men, so that's why they wear turbans. And uh, and um, the the people of the Islam faith, it's a little harder to tell. Many of them seem to wear kurtas, which are like long shirts, as opposed to Western style of clothing. So when you go to a religious event, it is possible to identify people of other faiths. Oh, when I was at teachings by the Dalai Lama in Dharamsala this past uh, August, the end of July, first day of August, there were definitely people there who wore the attire that I just mentioned, as well as people of the Jewish faith with the the skull cap on. So these people in India are celebrating each other's holidays. If you run a Sikh business and it's a Muslim holiday, you might possibly close down your business and participate. It happens that way, and it's a beautiful experience. And well, it's almost holidays. every day. <laughs> and they have many holidays. Oh. I mean, imagine, imagine the common Christian holidays. Oh, much fun. Well, I came from a family. We always look for a reason to have a, a party with our friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it really is beautiful. And, and I participated in these holy days along with people who were friend, became friends of mine who were members of each one of those faiths. So I wasn't like there just as a tourist who come out of my hotel with my camera, it's like I had personal guides who were explaining to me some of the nuances, some of the traditions, some of the symbolism that we were witnessing. Now, we have about a little better than a minute left. How would you like the world to hear, and we're going to have you on again. Uh, I hope you will do that. I know you're busy, but uh, how would you say that that trip, the memory of that trip ended for you to begin to write about well, I wrote stories on my website, and, and that story is posted on my website all the way through. So, again, if you go to robertmweir.com and look under the What tab and then look at books, you're going to find that I am, in effect, writing books that are being published on my website. Okay. And, 
and and hopefully someday we might be published in paper form also. But at least I'm getting the stories out there because I want people to realize that we are all of one brotherhood and sisterhood throughout the entire world, and so that we're not doing things like what you described in Sudan to each other, but we're doing things the way John McConnell envisioned that the world should be: peace with each other, share each other, and taking care of each other's the world with each other. Mm-hmm. Peace, justice, care of earth. If we can adopt some of that in our lives, I think we'll be better off. And I say this to people in other countries, too. I'm not just talking to Americans here and people in the Western world. This is the message I bring from the United States as my own individual peace ambassador to the people I encounter in those other countries. We are all And it is so important nation. that we all learn to expect respect with dignity and integrity, that everybody has their freedom to look at what they wish for themselves. But they, we do not want to, uh, let's say, force that on another person, except the fact that all life is precious every single moment. Yes. Yes. And Which, is water. Well, Which is why we need water. Which is why we need water. Well, water as long as I have, Robert, all of it, you notice that it is that precious because it's so volatile. And you look at a droplet of water on a leaf, and then you think how volatile that leaf is all the way through the trunk of the tree to the roots. And you think about life itself, the human life, all life, is is what took millions and millions of years to get where we're at. And how precious that moment is and to value it. But I want to thank you for coming on with us today. And I hope you'll do it again. I have a feeling we'll get to because I really find it very special. You have a very good way of explaining just what you just said. And we'll all be celebrating uh, tonight, uh, Earth Day, when the bell rings. You're welcome, Sharon. Thank you very much for having me be on your show. I feel I love the friendship and the, uh, the this relationship that we have growing through your talks here, and, and I would be delighted to be back on your show again. So well, thank you. Great for you, thank you, and have a special me. day and be well. Thank you. Good to have you back on the soil over here. Well, Robert, I have one minute left. I want to tell you how wonderful it is to have all these guests. Earth has those secrets, as Robert Weir was telling you, and all of our guests have said through the period of years now. Life is special, and embrace your life. But Earth is whispering, never say goodbye, because that way you'll leave something behind for all of us for eternity. And that's how we all should be living, is what we can leave behind with our footprints. I want to thank you for listening. Be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.